Hey everyone, I'm Julie Gunlock, your host for the 13th episode of the Bespoke Parenting Hour. For those new to the program, this podcast is focused on how parents should custom tailor their parenting style to fit what's best for their families, themselves, and most importantly, their kids. So it is February, I think we're in the second week here, I've lost track, and it is Black History Month. So I wanted to focus today's podcast on an issue that's important to the black community, gun violence, police reform, and the more recent calls for uh, defunding the police, which is sounds a little crazy to me. So we'll we'll jump into that issue. Um, after the death of George Floyd, many community activists and many politicians, in fact, in several larger cities called for the complete defunding of police. I understood at the time um, of the George Floyd death why people would call for greater scrutiny on the police and how they treat suspects, looking at arrest and detention practices, and even the need to have serious conversations about police brutality, like what was seen on the George Floyd video. But there was a lot missing from the conversations. Um, For instance, you heard almost nothing about police unions and their role in getting bad cops off the hook or that these unions would often pressure police departments to keep bad actors on the payroll. Um, that is a serious problem that has really gone underreported. Um, so if, and if, if we don't fo- focus on the role of, uh, of police unions, nothing's going to improve. Um, I also thought what was missing was any details on what defunding the police would actually look like in practice and the impact such policies would have on certain demographics, uh, like the people who are actually living in high crime areas. Um, the, The sort of disinterest in how these communities would deal with that was really grating. Um, and I thought, you know, how are we not, how, how are we abandoning the members of these neighborhoods who without police will be at the mercy of criminals? Um, these, these conversations really have been missing in the mainstream media. There have been a few exceptions and I'm, I'm going to mention these folks because I really, if you're interested in this issue and really the underreported data on police shootings on, um, you know, police brutality on uh, police reforms. I think you really should really read um, Jason Riley in the Wall Street Journal, who's done fantastic work on this topic. Um, and also um, Harvard economist Roland Fryer and writer Coleman Hughes. Um, they have written and talked about how defending the police would be a disaster uh, for some of for people in the black community. Um, it, Roland Fryer actually talked about how it would cost thousands of black lives. Um, another exception to the sort of media disinterest in these issues is Patrice Anwuka, who is a fellow. Um, actually, she's a policy analyst and runs a program at the Independent Women's Forum. Um, just today, she posted a really moving blog post on this issue. And I want to read just a small excerpt, but I encourage you to visit IWF.org and look at her recent blog. It's called It's Black Moms Who Might Solve Spiking Murder Rates. Um Patrice talks about how organizations like Black Lives Matter, BLM, and I'm talking Black Lives Matter, capital B, capital L, capital M, the organization, um, and I th- and that's what what Patrice was referring to. They, she says, quote, they ignore that most of the Black lives lost last year to murders were not at the hands of police, but other blacks. She says the statistics of rising violent crime in America should be alarming. From 2019 to 2020, murders jumped by nearly 95% in Milwaukee, 57% in Atlanta, 55% in Boston, 50% in Chicago, and 40% in New York City. 
30% in Los Angeles. It has, that, it has been 50 years since we have seen murder rates spike so high in one year. And she writes that the overall spikes in murders occurred in at least three waves of violence early in the pandemic, during the summer, uh, during the with the George Floyd um, protests, and then again in the fall. Patrice then mentions uh, the Manhattan Institute scholar Raphael Manguel, who has reported um, that black and Hispanics have constituted at least 95% of shooting victims every year for more than a decade. Black children also suffer the highest firearm homicide rates of all races, according to the American Academy of Pediatrics. Um, Patrice also mentions that some of these victims were as young as one year old, a one year old toddler um, who was, you know, standing at a bar or sitting at a barbecue, a 15 month old strapped to his car seat in his father's car and a nine year old standing outside of his home. Um, Black and Hispanic people are not the leading homicide victims in absolute numbers, but they are disproportionately victims. Patrice writes, and notably, the perpetrators share their skin color. This is an inconvenient truth that BLM organizations ignore. And that was a quote that was a part of Patrice's blog, which I think is very powerful in that it says, look, we are there is nothing wrong with focusing on police brutality and on 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 the George Floyd death. But there is a. A, a, a pro, there is a major issue in this country of black on black and black on brown um, crime that no one is focusing on. How we can go through a news cycle where 300 people were killed in Chicago in one weekend and nobody's talking about it is 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 truly. I mean, it should strike everyone as being pretty odd. That is the type of crime that we're not talking about. So here to talk more about this really important issue is Sylvia Bennett Stone. Sylvia has been a true leader pushing back on the defund the police trend and has even started a mom's organization called Voices of Black Mothers United to help victims of street and gang violence get their voices heard. Sylvia has a good reason to care about this issue. 17 years ago, Sylvia's 19-year-old daughter, Crystal Joy, and Crystal's best friend, Taryn Greer, were getting gas at a gas station and got caught in the crossfire of a gunfight between a group of young men. A bullet from a rifle went through Crystal's body and into Taryn's heart. Both young girls died. Sylvia, thank you so much for coming on my podcast. Thank you for having me. Well, you know, I have so I feel like I have so much to talk to you about. This is, should be like a series. This is this is number one of five podcasts, but we're going to get through this. But before we delve into the really complicated policy discussion of defund the police, I really want to hear a little bit more about Crystal. Um, she had just finished high school and she was about to, you know, as they say, launch into adulthood. Um, tell me a little bit about her and and what were her interests. Oh my God, Crystal. Um was the young lady who was known for the million-dollar smile. <laughs> Everyone would say when she walked into the room, she would just light up a room. Um, I know being mom, I'm a, I'm a little biased here, but um, she, to me, and as I look back on it, she was the angel here on earth. Um, well, I Everyone knew that she she never got angry. Oh. She was always helping. Both girls were always helping someone else. Well, I will tell you, Sylvia, um, I in researching you as a guest, I, I 
I saw many, many pictures of Crystal Joy, and you are absolutely right. She was a stunning girl, beautiful, beautiful smile. So I'm glad we are going to be talking about her and talking about an issue um, in honor of her, really, this organization that's been launched um, and this group of moms who are really doing good in the world. And again, um, you know, that is in her name. So I'm glad we're here to talk about that today. Um, You know, it's funny. I have to say that I... I was researching this issue. I was reading a lot of um, the, uh, you know, obviously the articles that you've written and also about the organization. And <laughs> I, I have to say that I was a little nervous to talk about this issue because, you know, I don't have a lot of sp- experience with this issue. Um, and and I think the issue that, you know, that obviously we're going to be talking about is the defund the police um, uh, sort of push that came about after the death of George Floyd. Um, this is an incredibly, mm-hmm. you know, popular uh, trend that's that's uh, that's going on in this country. And so for me, you know, I worried because I thought, you know, I don't really face gun violence in my neighborhoods. My, you know, I'm raising kids in a very, very safe neighborhood. I don't worry about, you know, the potential of them getting hurt if they're playing out in the front yard um, or if they're walking to a friend's house. But then it occurred to me, Sylvia, um, that that's the people who are pushing the defund the police efforts. Most of them are exactly like me living in areas of cities right. that don't experience right. the violence. And I thought, you know what? It, I'm perfectly okay to talk about this issue since the people pushing this really also don't right. experience. This. And, and the thing of it is, Julie, um, my son said it to me so well, he put it in such a, a good way. Those that are pushing, as you were just saying, pushing defunding the police don't live in those neighborhoods. However, defunding the police means taking funds away, you're weakening the force, um, you're, you're taking jobs to where there will be less police officers on a force to respond to calls, right? So... What happens if and when someone from that other neighborhood calls the police and the police is non-responsive? What happens if when the, the violence escalates to such a point of where they go into these other neighborhoods and they fire those bullets through those windows and they're not able to call the police? Yeah, it's, it is... It's really interesting to me how this whole issue has evolved and how and the silence of some, you know, who you would think were advocates, you know, women who are battered by their husbands. They rely on the on on the police, you know, at, as we yeah. say well, in neighborhoods, in neighborhoods where crime is a common problem, they rely on the police. And I think there has been some good uh, a good effort by some people, uh, some some scholars to sort of highlight Jason Riley comes to mind um, in the Wall Street Street Journal who has written about how this is really going to hurt the black families. You know, this is who we're we're supposed to be helping. Right. I mean, the defund the police people say, well, we want to help, you know, black people who have been brutalized, black and brown people who've been brutalized by the police. But in fact, um, a police presence in some of these neighborhoods that are primarily black who deal with gang and street violence, taking away a police pro- uh, a police presence would really harm the very people there. You know, I don't I don't want to criticize. You know, ev- I don't think everybody is just wicked who's who's against. Right. Uh, but but I think it is so 
it's so it's so dangerous to pursue these policies that ultimately um, could harm these people. You know, I, I want to talk before we get into more on that. I want to talk specifically though about Voices of Black Mothers United. Um, this is an organization that is you you've created to push back on this narrative. Tell me a little bit more about that organization. Um, Mr. Woodson of the Woodson Center, Mr. Bob Woodson, um, I have been an affiliate of the Woodson Center for years, whereas they supported local organizations in the work that they've been doing in the communities. Um, And as an affiliate of the Woodson Center, Mr. Woodson and I were having a conversation. Um, He asked, where have I been, you know, because after Chris's death, I kind of fell back a little bit and doing a lot of work. Um, And I shared with him that I lost my daughter. Uh And he was like, why haven't I heard about this? I said, well, you know, even with me, it being a community advocate, people don't want to hear about it. They want you to go away They want you to shut up about it. Um, For some reason, no one wants to have a conversation about the violence in the communities that we live in. Uh, Mr. Woodson said, well, no longer. No longer. And it's not just me here in Alabama, but it's across the the board in every state. They're telling these black mothers, go away. Mm. No one wants to hear about it anymore. Mm. So many- we we just resolve in this corner, but no more. No more. We are now speaking up, and we're uniting to speak up as one voice. Well, there you know there's strength in numbers. Tell me how many numbers there are. How many mothers are now part of this movement? We have over 2,500 mothers and growing. Nice. Um, since we've launched, it's grown hundreds and it's growing every day. You know, mothers are calling, um, those who are doing work and have organizations in the communities where they live, they're calling. So yeah, we are growing in, we are getting to the point of where we want to have every mother who's lost a child to violence to step up and know that their voice will be included in this. No longer do they have to be silent about the death of their child. Sophia, that's so powerful. And I want to talk a little bit about where the media is focusing because unfortunately they are not focusing on cases like your daughter's, um, and they're not focusing on the thousands. And well, you know, you can go a weekend and the news will briefly mention that hundreds were killed in Chicago on the streets. It is Mm -hmm. shocking to me. Um, And so, you know, you wrote a piece and I really encourage everyone to Google Sylvia's New York Daily News article, which is very powerful as well. Um, She said in it that victims of of uh, police brutality, you know, you said victims of police brutality matter greatly. Um, But then you said something really provocative, especially in this day and age. You said that these deaths represent a fraction of the number of black people who are killed each week in our our neighborhoods, including a growing number of children who are caught in crossfire 
just like your daughter. Why don't we hear about this more, Sylvia? Why don't we hear about these victims of violence? For some reason, um, Julie, people don't want to have this conversation. And now, in my personal opinion, they don't want to have the conversation because they don't have any solution. Right? <laughs> Right. That's my personal opinion. Right. But voices of black mothers united, we're not just coming with just a voice just to be heard. We're coming with solutions yes. to address some of the, the violence in our communities, as well as solutions to bring the community together with law enforcement to make our community safer. Tell- now, yeah, let, let, let me address yeah. the... the uh, statement I made. Now, it's a fact, Julie. Mm-hmm. It's just a fact. And that fact cannot be disputed. There is a large number of, of violence in the communities and murders versus what the police. Now, understand, murder is murder. It doesn't matter who does it. I do not condone, and I'm making myself very clear, I do not condone police killing anyone, right? Right. Um, My heart goes out to the George Floyd mother because you know what? She's feeling the same thing that I'm feeling. Yeah. But, and, and not just me, but the thousands, thousands, not hundreds, thousands of other mothers are feeling the same hurt that she's feeling. And we want to be hurt just the same. Our children matter just the same. So whereas they want to address the agenda of police brutality and murder, we want to address our agenda as well as community murders. The, the, I I, I, I want to sort of touch on that a little bit further because you are very clear you care about that that is why this organization voices of black mothers united exists is to find solutions including you know i and i want i I don't want to step on you because i want you to talk about the solutions which you are very clear about Mm -hmm. you spell out solutions that and i want you to get to that but this is part of the problem too and i think you've clearly stated that I want to talk a little bit about the media's role in this, you know, because it's, 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 to me, they not only don't report that, you know, 300 people died in Chicago in one weekend, they, 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 they tend to make it seem like they, they, well, they make it seem like what happened to George Floyd is happening every single day. And that this is a common problem within the black community. And the data doesn't back that up. Um, and so I think you've got two problems here of not reporting a, vi- a huge problem, which is black on black crime mm-hmm. in certain areas of urban mm-hmm. centers. And then only reporting. I mean, I feel like in some ways I'm always feeling, I try to think of some of my friends who aren't very political. And to them... Mm-hmm the reason they believe that the, what happened to George Floyd, which is inarguably horrible um, is, is so common is because that's what the media tells them yet. They don't have any idea what's happening in Chicago and other, and other cities. So, uh, you know, that 
to me, I don't, you know, I, I feel like there are some good solutions, but what is the solution to the media, uh, their behavior in all this, they know this, this stuff gets clicks. They know that these stories sell much more than, you know, these, this many people died in Chicago. What, what's the solution to that? We have to keep pounding as one loud voice. The media is going to gravitate to who's the loudest. Yeah. You know, they're going to gravitate to what gets the ratings. Yes. Um, Unfortunately, everyone is desensitized to the number of murders and homicides that goes on in the communities. So once we make that change, once we bring about the police, um, law enforcement together with the communities through solutions, then their, their tone will change as well. I truly believe that. And we are, we are getting traction now. Um, we, just because we're saying we don't support defunding of the police. Now, with that traction, we're also are able to get our voice out. We're also able to tell about our initiative. We just have to keep plugging at it, Julie. We won't give up. Well, we will continue to pound that message as well and 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 do as much as we can to um, to help spread that message. I, I want you to talk, though, and I think these are great. I want you to talk a little bit about the solutions. The thing, you know, I, I've read some of your solutions, and I, I think they are brilliant, and I think they are the way, the path forward. But the thing that I love the most is they – they work with the police. They integrate the police into the solutions. Absolutely. Tell tell our listeners a little bit about, you know, sort of what are, what are some of the solutions you see um, going forward? Uh, the main one is bringing the police together um, with the community and, and they have conversation. Uh-huh. We have a um, an initiative that's coming out uh, to be announced soon where it, it will bring the community-based law enforcement together to the table, and it's going to force them to have a conversation. Once that happens and those barriers are addressed and those defenses are taken down, then that, that conversation can come into solutions and activities where it's going to make the community safer. It's going to um, give the community a stakehold into their own, making their own block, neighborhood, community safer. Yeah. Taking care of themselves, whereas the police can now do their job as policing and being peace officers that they've sworn to be. Yeah. Some of the things that you've written about are specifically are things like better training. And I like, I love this in de-escalation and conflict resolution. And you really can't sort of bat that away and say that won't happen. That will happen. And I think that better training, for instance, stories about young men, young black men who might have mental health issues, schizophrenia, Mm -hmm. or something that has them acting out in terrifying ways, but they might not actually want to hurt someone or they might be disabled in some way. 
uh, you know, there are stories like that where, where the police officers ultimately were not charged because they were, for instance, there's the story of a, of a, a, a young homeless man. He was something like 25. I mean, he'd, I, he'd gotten a, a full scholarship. He was brilliant. He had, a, you know, this insane mm-hmm. IQ and then, but he had mental health problems. He was not treating his mental health. He ended up homeless and then he charged, t- charged police officers with knives and he was shot and he died. Now they weren't, they weren't charged, but this is another example. This is an example of an, you know, uh, a black man, a young black man being shot. Um, he was actually armed with a knife, but still, um, right. you have to get into the story and then they, you know, to, to hear the, the police officers, you know, they certainly didn't want to, to, to shoot him and kill him, but if they maybe were trained in understanding, you know, what, what someone having some sort of a breakdown or some sort of a mental break. Um, so I love the training and deescalation and conflict resolution. Not that that it's going to solve everything, but, but I think especially training new officers or young officers on that is really important. You talk about better public safety measures, but also, um, you, I like also that your solutions aren't just faced just on the p- police side. You also talk about within the community providing better mental health right. resources, teen mentorship, so important, and also legal services. Talk a little bit about those things. Well, one of the things that um, I do within my organization is help the communities get a valid driver's license, Right. So people think of, you know, you and I think of a driver's license as, oh, okay, that's just very simple. Yeah, no big deal. Um, It's no big deal. However, when you're in a a certain community, you end up getting a ticket. You don't have the money to pay for that ticket. You are afraid of going to court because you don't have the money to pay for the ticket. Um, that ticket ends up becoming a warrant for your arrest yeah. because you did not go to court. And then it, it escalates and escalates and escalates. So one of the things that my organization does is we help navigate people through the process oh, of getting their driver's license and getting it valid, right, with, with the hopes that they do not have to go to jail. Now, um, Okay, and can I just can I can I just interrupt it for one second? Okay, yeah. Every time, every time my uh, every time my my driver's license comes up for renewal, like my husband has to go with me because I'm so I always get rattled, I always get nervous, I Mm -hmm. end up forgetting something, and I end up crying in a corner, and then I have to do the whole process again. So let me just say for those out there. I am not, I feel like getting a driver's license and some of the like normal things one has to do, filing taxes or things like that, they're hard. They're, it's hard. And I mean, you know, okay. I think about like, I have parents, I have like a husband who can help me. Like I have resources that I could probably get the help. Right. But you're right. Like people who are, you know, economically. They don't really have the money. They don't have the money. And so to the idea, I mean, it honestly makes me want to cry that your organization is helping people in those basic ways because I find mm-hmm. it hard. I can relate to that. So that's, that's, mm-hmm. the, and you're right about the death spiral. You just like, it gets worse and worse and worse and it worse. Worse. You have to go to work. So you continue to drive, um, yeah, especially yeah. if you're in a place where public transportation doesn't exist. Yes. Um, you continue to drive, you continue to get tickets, and it just compiles. Yes, yes. Um, to a point of where it's, it's out of their control. Right. However, that's when we come in and 
um, with the help of the Birmingham, I have to give him credit, um, judge here, municipal court judge Andre Sparks, he sure. saw the vision of, of having this program in place and brought me in to develop and implement. So now if, if we could just look at those little things like that, whereas if the officer knows that the, the young man is working on getting his driver's license back and yeah. he's working legally to do it, why continue to ticket him, right? Right. So we're looking at bringing the police and the community together on those little things. If we start with those little things, it will grow and grow and grow, and it will be a win-win on both sides. Now, going back to the mental health issue, I actually have a – an associate. She was a longtime friend. I've known her for years. Um, we lost contact during uh, a lot of years until her son was killed. Her son had mental health issues. Terrible. Mm-hmm. He went off his medication. He, when he would go off his medication, he would attack her. Mm-hmm. She called the police, oh. and the police actually shot him in her living room in front of me. Now, that's where training comes in with compassion. Yeah. Now, we can can write a training program all day, but we cannot teach you compassion. Right. Right. So the, the police chief need to understand who they're hiring on that end. You know, Sylvia, now, this is... could that have been different? Yes. Case in point, Denzel Washington, the actor. Mm. I just saw this on the news where he was doing a movie and he did a ride-along with the chief of police in Detroit. And while he was doing that ride-along, there was an actual call. And it was a domestic violence call where the husband had a a 12-gauge shotgun on the wife. The police was actually able to de-escalate that. Yeah. So it can be done. Denzel Washington said he saw this with his own eyes. I tell you, Denzel Washington is is a, a treasure because he talks He's a lot. He's amazing man. He, he is. He is amazing. And and not bad to look at. Just have to add that in there. I have a little crush on him, but (laughs) I think we all do. (laughs) But Denzel Washington has done so much also to highlight the role of families so often and family life and and the role of parents. And I think so many times in these conversations, we only talk about what can the government do? What should the government be doing? What should the police be doing? What should, uh, you know, some sort of, you know, agency of the state be doing? And he always, you know, he's very simple. He simply states it. He always just says, it starts at home. You know, he's very matter of fact about things. And and I love that about him. And he is a powerful voice, I think, for underserved communities. And um, just like you, Sylvia. So Mm -hmm. I like that you brought him up because um, he's doing great work. He's doing great work on that. And that's, that's important about the de-escalation. 
and again, better training. But what I love so much about your organization is you're working with, you're not just working with one set of of people in this. You're not just working with the police. You're also working with the community. And one of the reasons I think your, your organization is so important too, is one thing that I've worried about. And I wonder if you worry about this too, is that, you know, this sort of narrative is going to drive people away from joining the force. Good people. It will. And what do you, how do you feel about what's your, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, are we, are we driving away good people that could actually make a difference here? We are because see, as it as it stands right now, you have good officers who are afraid of going into the community right. because of the perception, and that perception needs to change. Here again, that conversation needs to happen with the community. And the police, and understand, Julie, the vast majority of the community do not want defunding of police. Yes, yes. They are just afraid of speaking out on that. That's right. But then they do not. And any time I talk with people in the community, they say, oh, man, no, that's absurd. (laughs) (laughs) You know? So they just want changes. Right. within the police. Right. But they right. don't want the police not to, to be disappear. able right. uh, to come into their community. Absolutely. Right. It's so funny that you They want absurd. good police officers. And majority of the police officers are good people. Right. We, I have family members. And of course, working with the court system, I know a lot of police officers. Yeah. Um, and they are good people. They're police officers who get out of their car, walk the community, say hello to Miss Miss Mary, the yeah. elderly matriarch of the community. Yeah. Those are good police officers who don't need to be punished for the few of the bad. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, Sylvia, it's interesting. I have to ask you because I... I sort of cover these policy issues um, as well. And I'm just very, very curious. It's a bit of a pivot, but I'd like to ask what your thoughts are on gun rights in general. And again, this is a very like, you know, I want you to feel free to say whatever it's not, um, you know, to, to lead you in any way, but I'm interested Mm -hmm. in your thoughts on that issue. And, and because there are groups out there, particularly moms groups out there who who truly believe that, that the way to work for safer communities and safer streets is to get guns, even from legal ownership, off the streets. Um, you know, I I kind of like your opinion on on that method. I'm like, what? How do you feel about um, about you know the right to to own a gun? If you think mm-hmm. that the that the answer is to limit legal ownership of guns, I'm just kind of curious because it's it's sort okay. of dovetails. I. That, that's fine. I've been asked that question a million times. Um, <laughs> Nothing surprises you. <laughs> yeah. From the perspective of being a mom whose child was killed by an AK-47, yep. from the perspective of working within the court system and um, working with those that carry guns, um, and from the mom's perspective. Sure. Okay. Now, um, Voices of Black Mothers United. We're we're not an organization that's 
that that is saying um, this is about guns. This is about violence with us. And and I just want to make sure I put that out there because there's a number of ways of people killing other people, not just with guns. Um, There's a number of ways of homicides that are happening. So we don't want to be uh, pinned down to this is about guns, all right? And, and now this opinion that I'm giving you is my personal opinion. Yes. Everyone has the right to own their gun. I do not believe that we should take away gun rights, okay? However, I do believe that there should be stricter gun laws. Yes. The mental ill should not be able to get guns. Yeah, They're I, mentally ill. Um, so there should be some stricter gun policy, but not taking away someone's right to bear arms. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. It really is interesting how these things sort of overlap because you are always going to struggle with the idea of you know, I mentioned women who, you know, might be abused by their partners, you know, oftentimes Mm -hmm. being able to get a gun license, get trained on a gun and know how to use it. It has saved lives. They saved their lives. There are cases of women defending themselves against, um, against criminals, but it's a difficult issue. And I think for moms, you know, there's an awful lot of, of moms out there who are really Mm -hmm. worried about these issues and are, who are genuinely worried and want to find good solutions. I don't actually agree. Absolutely. I don't a agree. A 15 year old should not be able to get a gun. Right. hundred percent. And people with mental okay. disorders, hundred percent. They, they should not be not able be, to get a they gun. They should not have access Most to these things. The people who are carrying the guns in, in our communities are one carrying illegal. Right. Two would not be able to get a gun permit. Yeah. Um, three, don't even know how to fire a gun. Right. That's why you have so many innocent people getting hurt through you know, uh, these these random shootings because they don't know what they're shooting at, you know? Right. So it, it's interesting. It's not about the guns. It's about changing the people within. It's interesting within sort of the gun industry, I've noticed a lot of articles about um, because, you know, since the pandemic, there's been a lot of gun sales and people are saying, you know, we really have to, within the gun community, there needs to be outreach. We need to make sure these people know how to use these things. If they're going to buy them, you know, we've got to make sure they're, they're using them correctly. They understand about safety, about locking them up. These, especially if you have children in, in the house. So I think there has to be a lot of work done also on that side of things of, uh, you know, on that side in the, in the sort of people who, um, who are activists on the side of gun rights and the second amendment also. And I think they are doing hard work to, to it on outreach, but that's a really important part. But again, I, I like what you said about, you know, in these communities where there's street violence, many of these people are not, aren't actually going through the legal process to get a gun. Right? No, they're so, not. So, they're not. Um, so, so it, it, yeah. It's a matter of changing within. Yes. Now, that's what I do love about the Moms Demand Action Organization. They are trying to change policy. I do love that part about them. Now, 
and and those policies need to be changed from that level but all all in the same it has to start within the home and in the community one of the activities that i would do is go to the schools talk to the elementary and middle school students about gun safety yep okay what do you see or what do you say when you see a gun? Right. Don't pick up that gun out of curiosity, and then it ends up um, um, shooting at someone and you hurt your friend. Yeah. If you see this gun, what do you do? How does it make you feel when you see a gun laying out on the table in your home? Yeah. So one of the things that we did, um, we asked the middle school to write a letter to their parents telling them how they feel about that gun yeah. um, and, and to, if you're going to have it, lock it up. Right, right. And I think you know, really, so I, I, and I we, think that message, I don't, you know, look, obviously we wish everybody went through the legal process to get a gun. But if a child writes that to their parents who perhaps has illegally obtained a gun and who leaves it out, you know, you would hope that that would impact that parent. Um, I suspect if they got a gun illegally, they're probably not very responsible about locking it up, which is too bad. But any way in which to get a message to a parent to keep dang you know, dangerous mm -hmm. um, things away from children is certainly a, a good message. Um, I will say, too, that I think it's important, you know, for instance, um, to teach children about gun safety and to teach them, though, that, you know, you know, there is a there can be good reasons to use, for instance, you know, mm -hmm. if you want to go hunting or there's there's shooting sports right. that people often right. enjoy. And so I do think that there's a way to find a happy medium between sort of making kids terrified of, you know, and, and they should be, they should run away and find an adult if they see a gun on the ground. But there, but I think that, you know, a well-balanced. Most of the time they, they're, they're relating this to a video game, right. you know. Right, exactly. Um, yep. and, and this is not a game. This is very real. Um, too often times where kids find their parents' guns and playing with it with their friends, it discharged and someone ends up hurt yes. or dead. Yes. yes. And honestly, you know, I am all for, you know, a as prosecuting parents who do not properly store their guns. This is illegal. You have got to make sure that you are properly storing these items. So I think that, you know, I'm all for those kinds of common sense, you know, uh, laws and restrictions, which I think most people that are gun owners and, and believe in the Second Amendment would agree with as well. You know, I want right. to. One of, of the things that we did, we teamed up with the police department to um, hand out gun locks in the community. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. great. You know, I, it's funny and my, you already brought it up, but as I was kind of thinking about questions to ask you, I was listening to another program that you were on. I, I think it was on Fox <laughs> news and, and, um, I'm, I'm like an official fan. I've watched all your clips, but, um, I will, but I, but I will say you had brought this up earlier, but I pulled this quote out where you said, um, because it struck me like a ton of bricks when you were told you you said you're told to be quiet and you're told to go away. Mm -hmm. And I can't mm -hmm. tell you how profound a statement that is because 
I, I haven't, you know, I haven't had an issue with gun violence, but I have had other issues with, with officials, particularly my child's education. And, and, mm-hmm. and, um, I have a child who has uh, special needs. And so it is amazing to me how, when I talk to some officials, I am told to just be quiet and stop complaining. Right. And, right. It, and I just have to tell you that your message is so, it resonates it resonates with all parents and what you're doing is so important and telling, you know, no matter what the issue to, to stand up for what you believe to do, to keep, as you said, just keep pounding away, do what it, you have to do to get the message out is really powerful. So I appreciate that. Thank you. And, and here again, we, um, we need help. You know, this is a huge undertaking and we need the support of people to come in and say okay we got your back yeah because see on the other side they get millions of dollars oh yes they do millions of dollars and we're grassroots um which is not going to stop us but you know we can use some support we definitely can to push this agenda forward um, to get it to where they actually hear us and well, we are able to implement these solutions in these communities. Well, I want to do what I can to promote mother, Voices of, mother, of Black Mothers United, um, promote your message, Sylvia. Um, but before we let you go, can you tell people where to find you if you're on Twitter, if you're on any social media platforms, and also the organization give the web address out? Uh, yes. Um, and to find us, you can go to the org, or you can go to voicesofblackmothersunited.com. Um, there you can go to the Twitter account, the Facebook account, um, all of the above from from those two vehicles right there. And, f- and for anyone listening in the description, we will put all of those links in as well. So that will be included okay. in the description of the this podcast, um, which I think is important. And I really do hope that people, um, you know, consider a donation and, and, and consider promoting Voices of Black Mothers United. This is work that is really critical. And as Sylvia said, um, it is underfunded. It is underfunded, undernoticed, underreported by a media yeah. who would much rather uh, stoke fears and 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 I don't you know I don't mean to be I don't mean to exaggerate, but but stoke um, distrust. And I think what you are doing is bringing communities together. It is so needed, Sylvia. I am I admire you so much, and I thank you so much for coming on my show. Thank you so much, Julie, for having me and and giving us the opportunity to be heard. Thank you. I'm from the bottom of my heart. Um, Every opportunity that we get to be heard and um, to spread the message and to move forward with this fight of not defunding the police, we are just so grateful. Well, Sylvia, I feel like I'm never going to hug anyone again. But the first chance oh, I no. the, the, first, the first chance I get after this, I would love. I hope you come to an IW event in person, and I hope I get to hug you and thank you in person because it's been a great, oh. great conversation. 
Thank you so much, and I love to speak with you <laughs> anytime. You make it very simple just to be able to share a part of my heart. Oh. And yes, I am a hugger as well. <laughs> So it's been really, really difficult not to hug people, especially uh, the moms <laughs> who just gotten, you know, the phone call that their child is dead. And oh, I know. It's very difficult not to put your arms around them. I, I know. Oh, Sylvia, I know. And listen, this is a, what you're doing. The work that you've done is in, an incredible gift to your daughter. Um, and she lives, you know, she lives still through your work. So, um, thank you for sharing her with us. And, you know, it is, it's, it's really, um, it's really a testament to you to have the strength to turn her death into a movement, uh, that will prevent future deaths. So thanks again, Sylvia, for coming on. You're great. Thank you. Thank you. And we all the mothers are dedicating this to their children, their voice. We're speaking through. We're speaking for them. Thank you. Thanks, everyone, for being here for another episode of the Bespoke Parenting Hour. If you enjoyed this episode or like the podcast in general, please leave a rating or review on iTunes. This helps ensure that the podcast reaches as many listeners as possible. If you haven't subscribed to the Bespoke Parenting Hour on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play or wherever you get your podcasts, please do so so you won't miss an episode. Don't forget to share this episode and let your friends know that they can get bespoke episodes on their favorite podcast app. From all of us here at the Independent Women's Forum, thanks for listening.